This is the Global Service Associates Podcast, and I'm your host, Andy McCullough. with Global Service Associates, and I'm interviewing today Craig Joring. Craig and I have uh, known each other a long time. We joined Campus Crusade for Christ staff together in 1986, and then also joined Global Service Associates as members same year too, 2009. And so Craig serves in Mexico City and also Nebraska and Alaska. So I'm going to give Craig just a... a a little opportunity to share a little bit about more about his work and who he is. And it's good to be here and good to talk to everybody uh, with GSA. Um, I've been, um, I've been in Mexico city for almost 16 years now. And I work with the poor here in Mexico city and uh, work on the streets of Mexico city. I work at the garbage dump with a thousand people live and work in Mexico or, or in, at the garbage dump. Yeah, so cool. So, and by the way, you know, Craig is in Mexico. So if the connection is a little choppy, we'll, we'll count it up to that. And uh, I think you may have noticed, I'm not trying to be professional. This is for our members just to connect with one another. And that's our goal is just to have a chance to hear from each other, their stories, and you get to know them. And maybe if you hear something really cool and you want to learn more that beyond our podcast you can always connect with our members uh I'll, I'll share how to do that at the end but craig um yeah so one one thing our theme that i want to do is uh if people have had a chance to listen to our first episode with carolyn culbertson she talked a lot about our calling or vocation and she breaks down three different areas one a general calling we all have as human beings or believers and followers of jesus that we are called to love God, love our neighbors as ourselves, live holy lives, things like that. And then there's a specific calling, and that's unique to each one of us. It's kind of the idea of what is it that God has given you to bring to the world, that we're participating in the work of God in the world. And so what is that specific thing? And she, she gives two clues of how to find that out. It could be a thread of things in your life as you go through different seasons or roles in your life and ministry, what kind of shows up? What's the commonality? And then the other is when you kind of go, yes, this is what I was made to do. This is what God has made me to do in the world. You kind of have that sense of, of feeling, that joy, that sense of, wow, I feel like this is what I was called to do and made to do. And then the immediate calling is kind of things you just shared. It's kind of what, what has God put in front of you to do right now, the things that you're doing now in Mexico City and uh, with um, both your service and bringing in mission teams and things like that. So, Craig, if you think back, because like I, I said at the start, we've known each other a long time. And we were actually, for a good part of the time with Campus Crusade, we were in the same region of the United States campus ministry. Uh, Craig was serving in Nebraska. I was in 
Colorado. And uh, both, we were both local leaders uh, together at the same time. And then he went down to Mexico City for an effort we were doing called City Focus and served there. Um, but, you know, knowing your history, Craig, you were really focused on university students. And so now, as you shared, you're, you're focused on the poor in this huge city of Mexico City. So when you think about your calling, do you see a common thread in your life, even as those different roles or different seasons have happened in your, in your work? I do. Um, Andy, it's always been my ambition to take the gospel to places where Christ is just not being proclaimed. So when I was working full-time in campus ministry, I probably wasn't the best local leader because my focus was always centered to take the gospel to people and places that probably weren't very strategic, but where Christ was not being proclaimed. A lot of times this was the kids that were the most left out on campus, or maybe the people that were rejected on campus. And they didn't become these rock star Bible study leaders. They, but they felt loved and they felt the presence of Christ when we reached out to them. And I, I felt like I was hanging out with Jesus when I hung out with the poor. Hmm. So the fact that I'm working full time with the poor, is not a departure from what I've done my whole life. Uh, I've always wanted to keep, to, to, to care for the poor. Uh, I believe that Jesus is especially present in the poor. And that when we hang out with him, with the poor, really draws us into a personal relationship with Christ, a close relationship with him. Wow. That's really cool, Craig. I mean, there's a, there's a lot there. I want to dive, dive in more. Um, you know, you talk about you experience Jesus. You feel like you're hanging out with Jesus when you hang out with the poor. Um, you care to expand on that? I think that there's uh, when when you're around the poor, and I guess I'm putting this through my own context of the people that I work with who are homeless. Maybe they have an addiction that they can't overcome and they'll probably die on the street. Maybe they were born at the city dump and that's all they know how to do is to work hard sorting through the garbage looking for things to sell, which is cans and bottles and plastics. Um, but I guess... I guess when you have the attitude like, man, you just got to like work a little bit harder and you got to like, you got to quit doing this and start <laughs> doing this. And then I think that really takes away from, uh, from seeing Christ in the poor. I want to show up in the lives of the poor and just, just delight in it and just to uh, not try to change them, but just to value them and just treat them as human beings. Mm. And then, uh, and then there's kind of like a, 
this exchange that takes place where I see the suffering Christ in their eyes. If I stop trying to fix them, then I'm just with them. And I pray for them. And I, I definitely will take them off the street. I'll, I'll, we always feed the poor. It's not like we're not trying to help them. We're trying to help them. But, but when we come close to the poor and we just look them in the eyes, I can see the suffering Christ because they can't, they can't change uh, themselves. Um, sometimes all they can do is to suffer and know that there will be more suffering. And, uh, and this draws me, this draws me to the Savior. Wow. That's really cool, Craig. I, I know uh, you and I have talked a lot about in the past and <clears throat> passages like Matthew 25, which I think most people listening would know is when Jesus talks about when he comes with his angels and sits on his glorious throne and he brings all the nations before him. And he separates some on the right, some on the left, the sheep from the goats. And the sheep are those who did these acts toward the least of these. Acts of feeding. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was without home, you brought me in. When I was sick, you visited me or cared for me. And then maybe it's when I was in prison, you cared you visited me. Sorry, I'm butchering that. But and then he, and he parenthetically says, when you didn't do that, or, or when he says, when you did these things, you did it unto me or for me. You did it to me. But parenthetically, when you, you don't do those things, he said to those on the left, you didn't do it unto me. And I think you're right. I think there's a you know, we often focus on ministry, even ministering people, whether we're doing discipleship, evangelism, or we're giving something to the poor, whether it's mercy, acts of mercy, or acts of justice. We, we can also often feel like I'm, I'm the exchange. I'm, I'm the one with the stuff. I've got the good news. I'm giving it, or I've got the food. I'm giving it. But I think you've touched on something that you gain, uh, you see Jesus, and then you see that passage lived out. Am I reading too much in this, or do you, do you, do you feel that as well, Craig? I agree, Andy. Yeah, I really agree that uh, what you do for the least of these brothers of mine, you're doing it to Christ. And so when we ignore uh and when when we ignore another person, uh, we're ignoring Christ. And I don't think you can separate your spiritual life from how you how you treat other people. In fact, I print a wristband hmm. for everybody who comes into my life and comes on a mission with me. And 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 I I use that passage Matthew twenty five forty. I teach that during the week that they spend with me, and then I give them that. I give them that wristband. Most kids wear that. The people wear that until it falls off. It turns to threads. Some people have actually, you know, this 
carried it into some of the most important times of their life, like their wedding, one person tattooed it on their forearm because they want to always remember that what you do to the least of these brothers of mine, you're doing to Christ. And, uh, and there's a, there's a, I've, I've heard a lot of um, amazing talks on that. I've, I've spoken on this many times. Um, I always wonder, I always wonder like how important this really is. What if this is our final exam and uh, where we stand before the great pearly great gates and Peter says, why should I let you into my heaven? You know, like question that we've asked people all our lives, Andy. Right. And, uh, and of course the answer is like, because I, accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and I've done everything I can to follow him with all my heart, soul, and mind. And then Peter says, oh, let me take you over to Matthew 25. Let hmm. read this passage. And uh, now how did you do with all these things? How did you do with, with did you visit people that were in prison? Um, did you, did you clothe the naked? Um, you know, it's sobering, but uh, I think it's super important. So what I always tell people whenever I have a chance to speak on this or, or spend a week teaching this passage to someone in the context of serving the poor is this is what a normal, this is the normative Christian life. Like this is what it means to be a Christian. We serve the poor. I don't think you can call yourself a Christian and not care for the poor or treat the poor in ill regard. Um, to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and to follow him means that, that we care for we care for the poor. And what I what I believe is that these poor lead us to Christ. And there's some there's it's a it's a spiritual exchange that takes place and it's powerful. And it uh it really makes a difference in our spiritual lives and our walk with God. Yeah, there, there are two things that you were saying made my mind think. So, you know, the great, we often think there are two different things. The great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbors, yourself. And maybe what you're doing fits into that second part of that. <laughs> now you're telling me it fits into both. But the great uh, commandment to make disciples and you made a point, if you really follow Jesus and you do what he did, how did, how did he view people around him? How does he view people in the world that he created and cares for and loves? That's a part of discipleship of drawing people who say they want to follow Jesus into this, you know, um, this, these acts, this, this ministry, I, you know, we used to have all these, <laughs> just, sorry, my, my brain's going down a lot of different paths, but I remember this, this disciple making book that I, I got way back early in our days with, with Campus Crusade, and, and there was a chart, this guy was, he created this chart of all these things people need as a disciple, and here's where you get on, you know, but we, we didn't have caring for the poor on that chart. And I'm sure it was eye-opening. When, when did you feel like, I mean, you talked about you 
you grasp this even as a, as a local leader in a campus ministry, a university campus, but did that just click to you that, wow, this is a part of what it means to follow Jesus or just, I'm just curious more to dive into that, like where that was instilled in, in your heart, Greg. I think it was instilled just growing up, going to church every Sunday from just being a youth uh, going to youth group, but I've always, I've always just believed that it was super important. The interesting thing about is uh, when we worked for the campus ministry and we were held accountable for our statistics, that what like, we had to produce results. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, that's not going to really probably give you great results and raise up leaders and result in more kids going to conferences and probably actually hurt your ministry because I, <laughs> I, I would, uh, I had this ministry in the fraternity houses in one of my campuses and I was reaching all the really cool kids yeah. in the fraternity and they just thought I was just so cool. I'd go in and lead a Bible study for them and, uh, it was just really a fun time. And then I really, I wanted them to get involved in their campus ministry and I would bring them over to the campus ministry and they would, they would just like, Oh no, we can't, we're, we're, we can't get involved with this. These guys are just like too weird. And their eyes, like these were like the misfits and the people that like we joined a fraternity to get away from those kinds of people. And here Craig, is valuing those people like he values us. And it was just really, it was so hard for them to understand that they never came back to the, to the campus ministry meetings that we had. Um, they're like, well, we're good with you just coming over to fraternity house and uh, important into our lives. And so that's what I did. Well, maybe those were always tests because every campus ministry probably had awkward students you know and i'm sorry just how the world would look at them as awkward maybe it was a test did we really say we follow jesus did we really value everyone did we, how did we treat the least of these that would show up and i think i'm the same way i fell a lot I, well you didn't fail i felt because it was geared in us you know to we, we have to go after leaders and I think a lot about the uh, the story of the rich young ruler. You know that guy would be that would be that's what you would want to build a ministry on. Like this guy's he's rich, he's got money, he can support you. Uh, he's he's young, he's a ruler, so he's a leader, and he's asking for the gospel. He's saying, "What must I do to have eternal life?" And Jesus says this bar really high of sell your possessions. But it's not just sell your possessions, it's give them to the poor. He wanted to check his heart. And, and then he walks away. And I just think, wow, he probably would have been fired from most ministries. Jesus would have been fired because he, he didn't, he turned his back on the, what you need to build your ministry around. And his attention was turned toward people who were, you know, demon-possessed, prostitutes, you know, sinners, children. And 
you know, sorry, I'm, I'm talking a lot, but I want to, I want to tell a little bit, a story of you. I, I saw you, this, this happened 12 years ago. We were in Mexico city and, uh, I was going to, I was sending down a team and the, the guy was going to lead the team and you and I were at this facility. So <laughs> I think you learned a lot from it. It's like, okay, I'm never going to do a trip like that turned out. So I kind of failed on, on this, but we were, he was looking for kind of like a place to serve. And so I'd met this lady who led, um, a ministry. It was a Catholic ministry. She was helping uh, kids get off the street. It was kind of a transitional home that was right downtown. Uh, and she's giving us a tour. So here's this lady giving us a tour. and We're walking. And I turn around. I realized Craig, his attention turned. He physically turned away from this lady because this, this kid walked up to him and here he was he's was probably drug addicted he was dirty uh and it may have been awkward and Craig just turns his attention to him and interacts with him and gives him dignity and how you showed love to him immediately and the good thing is that the leader of that that ministry she she saw it and I don't think she was offended because that was her work to work with these kids. But I just thought, wow. And I've seen this so many times with you, Craig, because I've had the opportunity to be in Mexico and I do, I have different work, but I always try, it doesn't always work to tag on a Craig day, <laughs> the front end or the back end so we can hang out. And I just love going with you. And your ministry, whether it's to abandon a home for abandoned women or uh, gone under bridges with with uh, kids that you're ministering to, even to rehab places that you help guys get into to get out of drug addiction. And I just see not only do you care for the poor, but you care for them. You live out Jesus in, incarnate in how you minister. And uh I don't know. I've been talking, but what, what, what motivates you? What draws you to do that? And what do you even experience when you, when you do that, Craig, when you kind of live and minister that way? Well, Andy, that's the way that I would want to be treated. I want to treat people like I would want to be treated if I was in their situation and, and probably have done nothing wrong, or even if they have they have made mistakes and their life is a product of their mistakes. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like, uh, this person is a human being. I believe they're a child of God. God's made them uniquely and specially. And, uh, um, and, and when we look someone in the eye, uh, we bring dignity to them and a sense of humanity to them. This is what happens so little in the world that people just don't make eye contact with the poorest of the poor, or even even people that are just different, maybe just even an elderly person or you know a handicapped person, a person that 
would be poor in spirit. Uh, people don't make eye contact with them because they don't maybe want to have a relationship with them. Uh, I think when you when you when you look someone in the eye, you give them dignity, um, and it just gives them maybe hope. Maybe hope that Jesus loves them. Hope that hope that my life does matter. Hope that. Um, Hope that there'll be a, an, another eternal life. Wow. That's really cool, Greg. So you, you mentioned hope. So the name of your ministry that you go by is hope of the poor, not hope for the poor. Why? Exactly. <laughs> oh, man, if you called it hope for the poor, I'd give you a big sermon. And, and uh, I think I've you. heard, I think I. <laughs> I've received that sermon because I, in my head, I just say hope for the poor. You caught me one time, and yeah, you let me have it. And uh, but why? Why? I think it's. I think it's uh, Andy. When we first started coming down to on missions, you know, we, we just wanted to, you know, we just wanted to do things. And we wanted to like, well, what do what do the poor people down there need? And I remember, remember our our, our common mentor. He, was, he would he would always tell the story of what coming down here and and painting a church and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah because Mexicans up. don't know how to paint right <laughs> turns out they don't, they, they, turns they don't out they, they take mission trips up to the U.S. and build our houses so <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know I just, I just resolved that. Uh, like I'm, I'm never gonna do what somebody else can do, and so, man, the Mexicans are great builders. It's like, get, get this, yeah, this Sunday, and somebody's next door, and they're pounding with a hammer, <laughs> yeah, uh, nonstop. This has been going on for days. Like they just work, and they're really good workers, and they just get things done. And they tear down things, they build things. I probably am not the best of coming alongside of them and doing it for them. Yeah, but, so, sorry, I interrupt you, but you know, not only do we come do it, we usually send like teenagers <laughs> who don't know how to build anything. <laughs> so you're right. We boy, what what made us think that was that was the right way to hope to give hope for the poor? So we're doing for it. So yeah, go ahead. Well, I think uh, uh, I think I want to look at the world from the perspective of the poor like what do the hope what what do the poor want i mean there's things that i want for the poor like okay you you guys need housing you need uh you need all these things you need food well that's the hope for the poor that's my hope for the poor to have all of these things but what do the poor want and when we really dial into the lives of the poor like yes they want food uh, what is the hope of the poor? They want, they want, uh, you know, they want a place to sleep at night. But I think the big, the big part that the poor want is they want to see Jesus. They want to know that their life matters. They want to live their life with dignity, and uh, and they want to be respected. Andy, so many times when I'm at the dump. Uh, and I just go out to the dump and we take food. We always take food, but 
I just used food as a like fishing, like fishing bait. Like it just people come and they eat the food and then we hang out and um, but then they go back to work and a lot of times I'll follow them back or they'll invite me to their job site and we'll just talk while they work and I'll help them dig through the trash looking for bottles and cans. But what they will ask me is they will say, do people know what we're doing? And, uh, and I was really taken back by that when I first had them ask me that. But they say, do people value our contribution and our work? And I didn't know how to answer that. I think, I think people that drive by the dump and they see a thousand people digging through the trash, it was, it was, I would think, no, they don't value that. But I tell people if they do know what you do, they would value that. And I value that. And the people that I bring here, we, I, 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 I bring them here to learn from you because we value what you're doing so much. From their perspective, they only see the world 12 hours a day, six days a week from a garbage perspective. They're out on a, on a pile of garbage. Here comes another load of garbage that's dumped in and they dig through it. And they wonder like, why would people throw this away? Like, what is this doing in the trash? And sometimes they'll show me things and they'll just say, what is this? And why would someone ever throw this away? They just don't understand. And so, and so from their perspective, they're saving anything that has value. They're saving it from being lost forever by being buried in a landfill. So when they pull out a plastic bottle, they pull out a glass or, or a jar or something that's tin, uh, aluminum, uh, all those kind of things that have like a recycling value, yeah. then all those things are, are not lost. And if those people wouldn't be there, they would be lost forever. And they'll be covered up and gone. And they're actually helping the environment. They're helping everyone by saving all these things before they're lost. That's so, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they wonder, like, do people actually value what we do? Because this is a lot of work. They make $12 a week after working all day long, 12 hours a day, six days a week. They will come out with $12 after they sell the recyclables that they, they picked up. And, but they will do that and they'll live on $12 a week, but they really want to know, does my work matter? Do people recognize what I'm doing? And so it's interesting here in Mexico city, uh, there is 100% recycling going on um, because everything is recycled. If it has any recycling value, it is not lost because the people at the dump, they find everything that has any value for recycling. The only thing that's not recycled that ends up in the landfill is just packaging and just pure garbage, you know, just, just products that have no recycling value, but everything is recycled. Wow, that's anyway, really so cool. Back, yeah. I mean, because I would... Yeah, sorry, I keep interrupting, but 
Oh, no good. Well, I, just on your point, because I think, well, oh, the poor have value because they're created in the image of God. They have values, dignity as humans. But you're sharing some things that their actual work has value. The things they're doing in a way that I don't think people fully understand or you're right. Um, don't know that the work they're doing is, is valuable. That's, that's, that's really insightful. And so when we come along and we do the work for people, we take away that, uh, that sense of, like, of working and, uh, hmm. and feeling good about it. So even, even people who live with the dump and, and dig through the garbage, they need to know that their lives matter, that their work matters. Hmm. And maybe I can be this, this one person who shows up in their life and values them and values their work, just tell, tells them that God loves you and your life does matter. Your work matters. Thank you for doing this. And maybe that's not going to change their life. Um, but I wonder, I wonder when you walk away, I wonder. Like what do what do they think? What do people think? Like you know, when I when we when we when we're at the dump each week, what do people think? Like you know, like God sent these people, and uh, and they came standing in the place of Christ uh, to tell us that our lives matter, that we can trust in Him with all our hearts. I I hope that happens. It's powerful. Because Craig, you you alluded to it earlier. So it's you're going down, but you when you have some staff <clears throat> there who work with you in Mexico, and then you bring people down, mostly from the U.S. I'd assume, right? Who come down on mission trips, not to paint a church, but to to engage with the poor, and in your ministry on the ground. So we talked about stats. I don't want to. I don't want to build a stat and, and, and create that same thing. But give us give us an idea of like how many people are are you able to help engage with the poor? Well, Andy, I always tell people like, yes, I work with the poor, but really, I am an evangelist, and the poor are the sharpest tool for leading people to Christ. And so I typically get between 350 to 400 people that'll come down for a week, spend a week with me. I provide housing, food, and the mission and host them the entire time, spend every moment with them. Then of course the pandemic hit and then my numbers went down to like 50 last year, but hmm. already this year for the first month of the year, I've had 119 people that have came wow. And on a on a mission with me, and uh, so I book almost daily. Uh, I book margins of rest in between missions, but I'm going to go to the poor, and I'd love to have people come with me, and so I love to have people come alongside me. And it's not work for me. This is my calling. This is what I do. I want people to 
to have a conversion through hanging out with the poor. I want the people people to be to come closer to Christ as a result of this. So the more people I can take to the poor, the better. But I contextualize it for them by by teaching um, by teaching the the ideas that uh, you know that this is this is what we do as Christians is hang out with the poor, and I normalize it for them by showing them the humanity that people who come and work with me and how amazing these poor are. And I absolutely don't permit work, Andy. I just like, I mean, that's kind of the default. Like, what can we do? Like, well, even uh, like even the college students that want to spend the whole day playing soccer with the kids. I'm like, I'm just not even sure I'm really excited about that because I go out and play, play soccer all day and like, okay, that's kind of a fun thing. And, and, uh, but for the rest of the kids who are just out in the dump, it's, it is just raw and real and terrible. The smells, mm. uh, just the harsh conditions. And, uh, so I will just send people out if they're comfortable, uh, to spend the day working with a family and helping them sort through the garbage. But just if not, just to like, just to pray with people, just to be with people, just to hang out with people and just to um, just embrace poverty. Like, like just to like, instead of like being re repulsed by the poverty, but just to come to the point where you can just embrace it and uh, just see Christ in these people's lives. So anyway, I'm on track this year, hopefully to have probably way over 300 people come down for the year. Uh, yeah, I love it so much. And most are from Canada, probably half are college age, the other half are, are uh, older adults. And I've had okay. people all the way up into their 80s come. Huh. <laughs> and then uh, I don't do high are you talking or... about Are you talking about me and Rich or? <laughs> <laughs> no so you're just, actually you're actually next week right is it next week yeah, or tomorrow week after tomorrow we have uh, a group coming yeah i get well i've got i don't always do groups andy i've got just two people coming tomorrow okay. and they'll be here all, all week then after that after that i've got three people coming for the week and uh sometimes i would prefer to have bigger groups because it's the same amount of work for me to do the yeah. logistics for canons it is to do 50 right so i love having lots of people but i'll just take whoever god gives me and if i have like two people or one person here with me for the week it's just an opportunity to have amazing conversations and and just spend time with the poor i love it i yeah. love it both ways and you'll you'll have teams come through through April or or even longer. Yeah, I'm I'm booked straight through until like April second, and then I'm going to take like a two or three week break, go to the U.S., then come back for the May missions and June missions, and go. I, I book like I'll just book solid, uh, you know, with a one or two day gap in between to rest and do laundry and things like that. But I'll just I'll book all of like these mission seasons. Yeah. And then I'll, uh, I'll switch gears in late June and then go up and work with the poor in Alaska. And I've done that for 20 years now. 
So actually, this will be my 21st year, I believe, uh, where I go up to Alaska and, and just in different villages. I work with the native Alaskans uh, in some capacity. And so I definitely want to go back again this year. It's never enough going to Alaska. You know how it is up there. It's yeah. amazing. Well, it's really cool that you, you've kind of figured out this rhythm of life. Like you said, you've been in, you've been in Mexico City. When did you go down? Was it 2006? That's right. And then, and then you joined GSA 2009. So you've been, you've been doing this a long time, this rhythm of this is the times I'm in Mexico, this is the time when I go back home to Nebraska. This is when I go to Alaska and you've, you've kept that rhythm. And it's, it's really a great model. I think you, you find those seasons where you, you're pushing really hard, but you pull back and you have rest. And uh, it, I don't know, it's worked for you, right? I always, I always encourage people like, to avoid burnout, to change venues. And really change up your job every like six years or so. Like take on, like for me, it means ending with one street community and going with another new community of street kids every six years. But then build margins into your life where you change venues. I personally don't believe in the sabbatical. Like I just don't take sabbaticals. I've got 35 years without a sabbatical. But I've got 20 years of going to Alaska every summer. For two you're months. taking Sabbaths. And, exactly. And you're taking seasons of rest. And that's the principle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And just even changing it up after every six years, that's that's kind of the, the rhythm of that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. there, there was something else I was going to. Oh, so, you know, I read recently about this family that you helped, um, or maybe several families that you helped get off the streets and, and pass addiction. Can you, can you share that with everyone? Um, here in Mexico City, we don't have homeless shelters. There is no housing options for someone who's homeless. And so I serve in a specific area around the Gustavo Madero. That's a section of the city. I serve in that section of the city and there's around uh, 250 people in like a two or three block radius. There's a lot of homeless uh, in this area. Missionaries and Charity are doing a great job serving there. There's another ministry. What I specialize in it is going to the street and working with the, the people with addictions or just the people that are so raw that they won't even go close to the um, maybe the Missionaries and Charity soup kitchen because they're so scared. Um, and so, uh, I, what I, when I find a single woman with kids on the street, she is probably hiding and there's some kind of predator or maybe a past relationship that she's hiding from and she's protecting yeah. her kids. And these right. people live in terrible poverty because she can't work, mm -hmm. um, because she's got her three kids with her the whole time. I mean, she can work just a, like maybe selling gum and candy and things like that at what's called a puesto, like a little stand. But she has to have her kids there. Then she has to take them, you know, just like for all their needs. And it's really a hard life. And then second, 
she can't sleep at night because there's no safe place. And so she's up. She doesn't sleep well at night because there's really bad people that want to come and steal her kids. And she can't go into a deep sleep. Also, she can't leave the place where they do sleep because someone will steal their blankets. And that might be fine. She can get through the night, but the kids can't get through the night without blankets. And so it's really like once you go homeless as a single mother, you it's a really difficult place. And when I find those people or when I find these single women, I instantly take them off the street. We take them immediately into home, one of the homes of one of our former homeless. So we'll just take them in for the night or two days, whatever it takes. And then we'll rent an apartment the next day. And so typically we take all oh, 10 to 12 uh, families off the street per year. Sometimes, sometimes it's a year that I'll need to work with them. Sometimes it's three or four years uh, just because uh, they need to find sustainable work. Sometimes they need to deal with their addictions. Sometimes they just need some education so they can get a better job. What's, you know, just to be self-sustaining. And so we'll walk beside them during that time. And uh, so what I do with these, with, with, with these, with the people that uh, we take off the street is uh, I just, I always have a model in mind handy. And first of all, just to get people to a safe place, because you can't, you can't, you can't do, you can't change or you can't get to a good, better place until you're in a safe place. And so that's why we'll get people off the street to, you know, uh, uh, like a single woman with their kids, we'll get them in safe place. And second, I just uh, want, I want to surround them with love and acceptance. And so maybe, um, maybe they have been beat down so bad and put down so bad. And they will tell me stories of just how terrible it is to be there on the street and the things that people say when they go by, there's not a lot of encouraging things that are said and there's not people who stop and help. Uh, and it's really hard. And so I think to heal their, their hearts need to be surrounded with, with love and acceptance that ultimately comes from God, but they need to see it fleshed out. And so I'll be a part of that. My staff, we're all former homeless will be a part of that of just really believing in this person. And then the third thing that we do is we hold them accountable. And so we give them incremental goals and things, tasks to accomplish. And you know, maybe it's to go through a rehab or, you know, something like that, or maybe just to go to AA every week. Uh, maybe it's just to start working at this job. And then that's the that's the third thing is like to for them to know that they're accountable and uh, and they're we're also a safety net. And then the last thing is really to help them step over the line and become fishers of men themselves, where like instead of just taking, 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 receiving, 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 they cross over to the other side where they start to be an ambassador for Christ to other people. And so that's an expectation I have for them from day one. Like, we're going to take you off the street, but then I'm going to teach you to fish. Someday when you've healed, 
you're going to be self-sustaining and I'm going to teach you how, how to reach other people that were in the same condition that you are in right now. And believe it or not, throughout their whole healing process, it means so much to them to know that my pain, what I went through, it mattered because now I can reach out and help other people that are in the same condition that I used to be in. Oh, great. That's really cool. So I saw, I saw where you, you bought a refrigerator for this family. Uh, what's, what's the story of, of this, this family? Just real briefly, I, I know you kind of laid out what you do, but. I met them six years ago on the street when their son was just a newborn and have been working with them since that time. I probably have taken them off the street four times. It doesn't always work as they They as come I, off, but they, they go back, right? It's sort of the addiction. Yeah, because you can't take drugs in your house. That's just a rule that every landlord has. Right. And, and they'll be kicked out. And second of all, they just kind of lose all desire to go home because it's more fun yeah. just to party all day and night. Yeah. And so, but finally... A year ago, took them off again, and it worked. And this time, they had already stopped taking drugs, and so they were ready to make a change. And so um, this, this couple is just amazing. They're doing really well. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to I'm going to double the size of their Questo by it's kind of like a micro, like not a loan, but like an investment into their business. Yeah. So they have like a stand where they sell things and we're going to double the size of that. So their income potentially cool. double. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so uh, when you rent an apartment here, it comes with nothing. And the refrigerator is just something they never had. And a lot of people don't have a refrigerator here because you can just go outside your door and you Not can fresh. buy fruits and vegetables. There's a little convenience store in every corner. And so you don't need a refrigerator, but man, what a convenience. And so, Asked her, I asked them what they wanted for Christmas. I had a donation come in and they said, we really want a refrigerator. So I took them to Walmart. There's like 6,000 Walmarts in Mexico. <laughs> They're huge. <laughs> and so we went to Walmart, picked out the refrigerator that they wanted. They bought it. We, I bought it for them. So. Cool. That's awesome. Craig, I could probably go on all day talking with you. And I, I know that, um, I don't even know how long we've gone. <laughs> I kind of forgot when we started recording. But um, yeah, let's just, if someone wanted to connect with you in, in your work, what's the, what's the best way? Is it your website? Is it, um, how, would, how would they, if they wanted to learn more about what you're doing uh, there, what would be the best way? Well, email is always a great way um, through our GSA email that has the same format for all of us yeah. to email me through GSA uh -huh. or through the hopeofthepoor.org website. You can contact me there. Um, I don't know, just any, any way like that works. I love talking and I love having people come and hang out with me. And yeah. uh, I think it's more a matter of like sometimes people want to come like next month. Like, well, actually, it needs to be <laughs> a year from now. So, right. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I know Christy, Christy brought some 
students, right? Down one time before. Yes. So, so you've that had was... some other members that have taken advantage of, of that opportunity to, to bring teams down. And uh, so I'm not not making any promises on your behalf because like you said, you, you schedule things way out. But um, And then I, I posted a video the last video you did on the mighty networks so i think people can oh, cool. watch that connect with your work but craig it's always a joy to talk with you and uh i just personally appreciate your friendship through the years i feel like it's definitely been an iron sharpening iron relationship with you and uh you know, one thing we didn't say about you, you talked about fishing and how you use the bait of food. You're a fisherman and that that's who you are. In fact, um, you had a viral video that <laughs> of you fishing <laughs> with, where fish are just jumping into your boat that people could, people could search for and find too. It's, it's kind of a, uh, still out there, I think. And it's, uh, it was my 15 seconds of fame. I was on ESPN, <laughs> Good Morning America, like all over the I've been featured in all the sports, whatever, uh, websites. Well, I I'm think, actually, uh, do, you, do you call it a, I always, I didn't ever know how to pronounce this. Is it called a GIF or GIF? I've, I've searched and used your, a little clip of yours on responding people sometimes. It's kind of funny. That's but, awesome, Andy. Yeah, I've actually made about five thousand dollars on that. Oh wow! Wow, yeah. that's awesome. It's funded. It's funded my fishing addiction. So <laughs> every time, I'm like, hey, I need a new fishing pole. I'm like, well, actually, I just got uh, payment from that viral video. So, bye. <laughs> that's so cool. Who knew yep. you can make money off stuff like that? <laughs> I didn't even really know you can make money. I thought. That's amazing. Yeah, every once in a while. And it's kind of died down now, but people will like, they'll say like, yeah, I was watching this random TV program and I saw you, or I was in an <laughs> airport and they're running random videos and I saw you. I'm like, wow. So That's wild. why people pay for the video, I guess, is so they can show up in airports. Yeah, yeah. I would hope Good Morning America and ESPN would have paid you to use it. So it's a good thing. <laughs> So, well, Craig, it's been a joy to connect again, and I appreciate you and your work. And just want to remind all our members you can you can email Craig uh, through his global service email, or you can hopeofthepoor.org. Not for of hopeofthepoor.org. So thanks again, Craig. And then I know you got mission groups coming in, so I hope you have uh, just a really joyous next few months and uh, serving and evangelizing people who come down and helping them connect with, with Jesus as they serve the least of these. So thank you again, Craig. Thanks, Andy. This has been the Global Service Associates Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Andy McCullough. Our theme song is Lay It Down by Travis and the Ghost. We hope you catch all our episodes so that we can all better connect as members. Thank you.